Welcome to Foundation Church's weekly message. We hope that you are equipped by this message from Pastor Artyr Pavlovsky. For more information about our church, please visit foundationchurchfl.com. Amen. Pastor Artyr Pulaski, come on up. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I just want to thank you so much for allowing me to be here. I just learned that uh, your pastor was a police officer for 25 (laughs) years. And I can assure you, I'll never say get out to a man like him. I would say, come in. You're welcome to go. You see, people think that I am against law and order. Contrary. Law and order comes from God. He is not God of the chaos. That's the devil. He is God of order. When an officer does his duty, when an officer that swore to uphold the law, the constitution, to serve and protect, is not doing his job, but instead is harassing, intimidating, and breaking the law, I'll always call them Nazi, Gestapo, KGB, and whatever else comes to my mind. I mean, sometimes I I run out of insults. You know, um, people say to me, uh, that's very unchristian of you. Jesus would never say those words. Well, uh, read the Bible. Read the Bible, whitewashed tombs. You brood of vipers. You foxes. I mean, the Bible is filled with lots of insults and not for the sake of insults. I asked God one time, I said, God, why you were so extremely hard with your words? I mean, if you're looking for the biggest offender of all, look at Jesus. He offended everyone, the closest people around him, his friends. He said to Peter, his number one disciple, get behind me, Satan. If you said that to your associate pastor, I think he would not like you after that. But you see, why did he do it? He says to his mother, his sisters and his brothers, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Is not the ones that are doing the will of God. You see, if you know the Jewish culture, you know that that was a great insult to those people. And he did it publicly. Why? So I ask him, God, why did you do it that way? I mean, you insulted everyone. You offended everyone, left and right. You see, have you noticed, Pastor, when he started preaching, there were thousands, tens of thousands of people. By the time he was done, even his disciples were leaving. I mean, he was like (coughs) trimming his church. It's such such an opposite than what we are seeing right now from the pulpit. Instead of preaching the truth, they have compromised the message because they want bigger crowds. Jesus did it opposite. He started with the big crowds and he started to trim the one. Only the real ones. 
only the serious ones, only those that were willing to pick up the cross and follow him stayed behind. Why, Lord? Why did you offend them? Why you were so hard with your words? He, this is what he said to me. Because when I put a finger in a man's heart, his true character pops up. Think about it. You want to know who your friends are? Offend them. I'm serious. You want to who? You want to know who is who? Say to your friends something that you know that they will not like. And if they jump into your throat to kill, you know they're not your friends. Find new ones. I'm very privileged. I didn't know you're a cop. I would, uh, I would be more careful around you. <laughs> Those skills of a police officer, right? That's so beautiful that you have an ex-police officer as your pastor because I'm telling you, pol yes. Because what I know about law enforcement agents is that they can pick up a lie very quickly. They can see things that other people uh, cannot see because of their training, because of dealing with people and extremely difficult circumstances and insults and attacks. And I talked to uh, your pastor and I said, in 25 years of you working as a police officer, you've heard it all. You have been called every name under the sun. And you see, for such a time as this, I remember the mainstream media were calling me worse than a syphilis because they said, you can cure syphilis right now, but you cannot cure the city of Calgary from Art Pulaski. <laughs> what a compliment. <laughs> Thank you very much. I mean, if you thought you insulted me, I mean, you're delusional. <laughs> this was a compliment. I remember I was in a court before the judges and I have stood over 100 times before different courts, provincial, QB, civil, um, criminal, I have been charged with everything you can imagine, giving free goods and services, uh, organizing church gatherings, distribution of printed material, which is Bibles. I have been charged with operating a soup kitchen, charged about 300 times, arrested about dozen times since 2005. I have been fighting those giants of the land, but here I am today in front of you, still standing. Still standing, you see, people think that when the enemy comes crashing, when the enemy faces you, just like giants of old in front of the Israelites, that's a bad thing. But I'm telling you, that's not a bad thing. That's actually an opportunity for the church to do what church is supposed to be doing. Standing up, fighting the evil of the land, being the light in the darkness, being the salt. You see, if you're not facing opposition, that means you're useless in the kingdom of God. If you have never faced an opposition, that means the devil doesn't care if you live or die. You're not important to him. I always say to people that you have to become famous first in heaven. And pastor can, uh, can check uh, if uh, this is biblical, uh, you know, theology or not. First, you have to become famous in heaven. When a man gives his life to Jesus Christ, what it says? There is a party in heaven. In other words, your name becomes famous and the whole heaven is rejoicing because you are coming to the kingdom of God. But you also have to become famous in hell. 
If the devil doesn't know who you are, that means you're not a threat to his kingdom. If he doesn't know your name by heart, if you wake up in the morning and he doesn't say, Oh, not him again. <laughs> not her again. That means you are not a threat to his kingdom. That means you're not doing anything. He doesn't care if you live or die. And that's something that you should reconsider because... Well, well, we know from the Bible from the beginning to the end that every man, a woman of God that did something against the kingdom of the enemy faced persecution, prosecution, and difficulties. You know, last, in the morning sermon, I was talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I ask sometimes people in the congregations, do you want to see Jesus? How many of you would like to see Jesus? Well, you got to do it the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego style. You got to go to the fire. Yeah. You want to see Jesus showing up? You got to go through the fire. Yeah. You want to shut the mouth of the lions? You have to go to the lions then. In other words, you have to break the evil law in order to keep God's law. And that's the thing. They're giving me, they're throwing at me all the time, Romans 13. You see, they're foolish people because they don't read the whole chapter. Read the whole chapter. As a law enforcement agent, you know that you have been carrying that weapon for a purpose. Not to hurt, but to help, to save. Not to hunt down the good people that are doing good deeds, but to hunt down and arrest evildoers. You see, the government should never be against godly people, should be against ungodly people. The moment the government turns against good people, turns against Christians and the children of the living God, that's, that, that government becomes a tyrannical government from the pit of hell. And you have to, you have no choice, you have to oppose such a government. Our I will prove it to you biblically. Were the apostles lawbreakers, troublemakers, or were those people obedient to the government? Well, go to book of Acts chapter 4. They were told repeatedly not to preach in the name of Jesus, not to go out, not to do what they were doing. What was their answer? You be the judges whom we are to obey. You, I mean, you can always obey a crooked cop. You can always obey a crooked politician. You can always bow your knee to the devil. And for a short period of time, the devil will let you live. But be sure of it. He will come back for more. If he asks for your finger, be sure of it. He's coming for your hand. And then eventually he's coming for your life. Because you see, he hates you. He hates those he uses as well. In the end of the day, every man and every woman that works for the devil will be destroyed. Every, every one of them. In the chapter 5 of book of Acts, they're very straightforward. This is what they said. We've told you not to preach. We've told you not to go and do these things. But you have filled the entire region. Not just the city. Not just the neighborhood. The entire region with this doctrine. You know, in other words, how dare you Christians going around preaching the gospel, setting the captives free. How dare you socializing? How dare you meeting together, gathering in the name of Jesus Christ? We've told you shut down. We've told you put the muzzle on. Be good dogs. And this is the answer from the book of Acts chapter 5. We must. 
You see, there's no questioning, there's no debate. People say to me, why have you called those good, nice police officers Gestapo Nazis? Listen, if you act like a Gestapo, I'll call you Gestapo. If you break the law, you're no longer a police officer, you're a gangster in uniform. If you're not obeying the law of God and the law of the country, the constitution, you are no more than a gangster working for mafia. That's why I do not respect people that are lawbreakers. I have a deep respect for the badge. I have a deep respect for the uniform. When the police officers are doing good, I will be the first one to clap. Thank you, officers, for doing your duty, protecting us and doing your job. What is your job? Is to serve and protect whom? Me. Because why me? Because I pay your salary. You see, they have everything upside down. They say to you and me that, that we are working for them. No, they are working for us. We pay their salaries and they should listen to the people because we have elected them to serve us. But everything is upside, up, upside down right now. What we are seeing right now is the greatest elimination of the middle class, small and medium-sized businesses ever seen during our lifetime because they're subduing people, they're enslaving people. And in order to do that, they have to eliminate the opposition. Here is a very interesting quote when you were speaking. That's what came to my heart. I was not planning to share that, but I think it's perfect. Abraham Lincoln said this, my dream is of a place and a time where America will once again be seen as the last best hope of earth. Think about it. When I arrived here on your soil, God spoke to me. He said, I'm giving America another opportunity to do what's right. I'm giving America an opportunity to rise up. This great eagle needs to stop flapping his wings. It's time for America to come to the rescue once again. Why? I said, God, America is not a good nation. Americans have done terrible things. You know that, I know that. You have had your dirty hands in every conflict on earth for money. We know that. We know how dirty politics of America is. However, let me remind you something. Americans are the biggest force of evangelism on earth. The biggest amounts of money, the biggest amounts of missionaries are being sent right from this soil. And I do believe that because of that, God is extending his grace and he's saying, I'm giving you last opportunity to rise up, to stand up. I truly believe that the land of the free and the brave is needed to rise up again. It's, your, it's in your DNA. It's in your bloodstream. God is looking for Americans to stand up, rise up, start roaring like a lion. And in order to see that, he is separating the real from the fake. He's separating the sheep from the goats and the sheep from the wolves. He's separating the real from the fake. The hired guns, I call them, the pastors, they're fake. They're doing just a job. It's a job to them. You see, pastor, for you and for me, this is not a job. This is a lifestyle. This is everything or nothing. Heaven or hell. Life or death. This is not a job. You know, I have not been paid for seven years. I said to God one time, God, you're a terrible boss. <laughs> I used to own a business and I always paid my employees. 
and you have not paid me for seven years. And he was quiet. He didn't answer me. So I pressed more. I'm, I'm stupid, I know. Uh, you fight with God, you always lose. Uh, so he was setting me up for a great failure. I said, God, this is not fair. You're not fair. You killed the businessman. I used to make $5,000 a day. I had a successful business. And I said, God, why did you kill my business in such a brutal way? And this is what he said to me. Because the businessman was fighting with the preacher and one of you had to die. So the businessman has fallen and is buried. I don't even know where his body is. It's gone. You see, in the end of the day, God knows why. If you would not go through difficulties, if I would not go through difficulties, I would never be able to stand up today. The amount of slander. You know, if I googled my name, I do that from time to time. It's very fascinating what you can learn about yourself when you google your name. <laughs> so I did. I googled my name and behold, apparently I belong to the Aryan Guards. And I'm thinking to myself, what a bummer. They never sent me an invitation. <laughs> the Iron Guard is the most vicious gang in North America. You know that, right? The white, you know, Aryan Guard. Google them up. So, fascinating things. But last in the morning, I kind of messed up. And I went over the time. And I was kind of like, my wife said, didn't you see the clock? <laughs> And I looked at the clock, but I looked at the left side of the clock, not the, 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 the right side. I just didn't know what the right one was, you know? <laughs> Forgive me. Sometimes I'm slow. <laughs> Only those who will risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go. T.S. Eliot. We have been called for such a time as this, I'm telling you. This is the greatest opportunity that God has ever given to this generation. To stand up, to rise up. We are a leaderless society. People left and right are looking for a real deal. Are you a real pastor? Are you a real father? Are you a real brother? Are you a real woman of God that is willing to stand up and do what... Esther did, if I perish, I perish, but there she goes against the law of the land and she faces all odds against her. And because she was willing to die, she was willing to pay the price, she saved the entire nation. You see, God is looking for Esther's and Deborah's, Joshua's and Caleb's. He is looking for David's that will stand in front of the uncircumcised and say, Who do you think you are, you uncircumcised Philistine, that you should defy the armies of the living God? You see, who those people think they are? Those Bidens, Fauci's, devils, Clintons, witches. Who those people think they are? They only live because my father, which is in heaven, allows them to be awakened every morning. You see, we give too much credit to our enemies. We, get, we give too much credit to the devil. Once I asked God, I said, God, who is the devil? He says, he's just a tool in my hands. Think about it. Just a tool in the hands of God. 
I don't pay attention to what the devil says. I do not pay attention to what the devil does. I do my best to pay attention to what God is doing. And I'm telling you, God is raising up roaring lions. It's time. It's time for the biggest pride of lions this earth have ever seen. And I'm so privileged to travel around your great country and see so many lions. Wow. Sometimes I'm feeling, and I said that publicly, I feel like I am in the middle of savannah, <laughs> surrounded by lions. It's, it's so refreshing because in my country right now, there is a heavy persecution of Christians. 50 churches are burned down, vandalized. My church was vandalized many times. We are being arrested, hunted down. I was arrested in the middle of the highway for inciting people to come to church. I'm facing four years jail time. My brother, two years jail time. And I was told by our lawyer that more charges are pending, coming. We don't know what those charges are. But in the end of the day, you see, if the enemy will not do what the enemy did, and he is a fool, he is stupid, as stupid you can be. He is dumb and dumber. Remember that movie? I mean... That's the devil, because he has given me the greatest platform, the biggest pulpit I could ever dream of. Yes, the enemy is moving forward. Yes, the enemy is terrifying sometimes. But you see, I want to be like David. There was an entire army of Israelites looking at the enemy. And the only thing they had in their hearts was terror, fear. That's exactly what the devil is giving us today. Wear a muzzle. Be a good puppy. Social distance yourself. Don't do this. You're going to die. Vaccinations. This. And we are being bombarded left and right. Non-stop. 24 hours. 7 days days a week with fear but we know what the bible says god is giving us not a spirit of fear but of love and sound mind you see david i want to be like david because david knew who his god is here is what god said to me years ago the greatest tragedy for a man is this that they do not know who their god is just think about this we don't know who our god is that he is the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the most powerful. I mean, he holds the enemy in the palm of his hands. And if he decides that they are to die, it's over for them. It's over for them. Also, he said to me, the second greatest tragedy is this. That they do not know who they are in God. You see, we are the sons of the living God. We are the daughters of the most high God. We are the lions following the lion from the tribe of Judah. If God is for us, who can be against us? Greater is he that is in me than the one that is in the black house. The moment we realize who our God is, is over for the enemy. You know that? Me and my God, we are always the majority. I don't care if the whole world goes nuts. It doesn't matter. Me and my God, we always are winners. Because when you align yourself with God, you cannot, you will not lose. We know how the story ends. We know that we win in the end. Yes, the enemy has a number of tricks. The enemy is pushing hard. But you see, what God is waiting for is courage. He's waiting for brave people in your country it used to be called, and I believe that God is calling you, all of you, to come back to the foundation, the country, the nation of the free and the brave. 
This bravery of American people is needed once again. You rescued us before. You came to Europe voluntarily to die for people that you did not know during the Second War. It's time for American people to rise up and start fighting this great evil. Because the eyes of every man, every free man on earth is focused on America right now. Do you know that? Every man is watching, and this is what I hear from the people. What will the Americans do? Will they stand up? Will they fight? Will they push this evil away? What Americans are saying? What they are going to do? Everyone is waiting for you to rise up. And I understand it's a great burden, but what a privilege to be called for such a time as this, to lead the way, to be the light, to be the salt. You know why they've called us unessential services? Because as a whole, as a church, we failed Jesus. We failed to go out. We failed to preach the gospel. We failed to, to, to feed the poor. We failed to be essential. We have to go back to the basics. In the book of Acts, they were essential. Because they did what Jesus was doing. Here is what Bill Graham said. Courage is contagious. And I hope that a little bit of that, I will be able to give it to you. Because I fear no enemy. You see, lions do not bow before the hyenas. Lions eat hyenas for breakfast. <laughs> Courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. So you've seen the arrest, you've seen the craziness. Like I said, I have been arrested many times, over 100 court cases, 300 tickets, 30 COVID tickets, the latest arrest, three court orders, two court injunctions, two contempts. But all of this for one purpose, so God can give me a bigger pulpit, so I can tell people that we cannot lose, that if we will unite, if we will not allow the enemy to divide us, just like they're doing with the BLM, Antifa, Asian, colored, listen, Jesus did not die for the color of your skin, you know that? He died for your soul. Do not allow the devil to divide you. We are a family. In the image of God, you have been created. In the image of God, let this sink in into your heart. When you see a fellow man tomorrow or today, a neighbor, remember, he has been created in the image of God. Equally, he's equal to you. Preach the gospel. Tell him about the amazing God that we serve. But you know, people ask me this question, how can you do what you do? You see, something happened to me and I want to jump right into it. I was a businessman. I was very successful. I had seven houses, land. We were doing good. In 1999, my life went out of hand. You see, I met my wife in Greece and she was a Christian. And she was telling me about this God, but I always looked at God. I looked at the church as the only thing that wants my money. You see, I said, there is no bigger mafia than the church because I used to work for mafia. I used to work with mafia. I was a smuggler back in behind the Iron Curtain and I worked in Greece with mafia to hire illegal Albanians, immigrants. You had to bribe the police. You had to bribe the politicians. You had to bribe the mafia. So I was working with them to build houses for the richest people on earth. And I always said to my wife, there's no bigger mafia than the church. Because when I give an envelope with money to the mafia boss, he leaves me be. But the church always wants more and more and more. <laughs> so that was my reasoning. I, they're worst. 
So when I went to church, he would worship and I would always find a place with a donut and a coffee. And I was very generous. If the donut and the coffee would cost in a store $5, I would give 10 and not a cent more. I was very anti-Christian. I was very anti-God. I was very anti-church. But you see the power of women. I'm telling you, you're the most powerful force. I have two bosses. I have my main boss, God, and I fear him. I have a healthy reverence towards him. He is my boss, and I have a second boss, my wife. And I fear her as well. I'll tell you why. Because the worst thing that can happen to a man is to go to bed with his enemy. I'll tell you what terrifies me. What terrifies me is when I close my eyes and I fall asleep, I got no idea what is happening to me. And that greatly terrifies me. So I made up my mind to never make my wife my enemy. I prefer her to be my friend. Just in case. Just in case. My wife for seven years, she fought for me. I was a drunkard. I was not a good man. I've done terrible things to my wife. Our marriage was a mess. I did everything you can imagine to a woman. Terrible things. I gave her uh, divorce papers. I said, I'll give you every cent I have. All the money I have, I'll give it to you. I'll buy you a ticket anywhere in the world. Just sign the paper. Divorce me or I'll kill you. I would, I would smack her so many times, throw her on the wall. And one time I went home and she stood in the door saying, where have you been? And I spat at her face. And she took the thing away and she said, you can spit at me. You can spit at my face anytime you want, but I'll always say it's only raining. And I broke my heart. I'm telling you, I could never deal with that kind of love. Women, you have unbelievable power. In the Bible, it says that every time a woman prayed to God, God answered. Pray for your husbands. Pray for your children. Pray for your parents. Pray, pray, pray because you are the most powerful force in the name of Jesus Christ in a household. There is something special about the prayer. A bold, courageous, stubborn prayer of a mother or a wife that moves the mountains. It moves the heart of God. You want to touch heart? Pray. So she prayed for me in 1999. I finally got broken. I was making lots of money. I had about 100 employees. I had about 50 job sites. I was about to sign the biggest contract I ever had for apartment building. My life was good. I mean, it was a mess. I was a drunkard. But if it comes to business, I was very successful. If you would look at me, I was driving sport cars, Hugo Boss, uh, you know, suits, eating in the best restaurants. My life looked very good, like the Hollywood style. You would say, this guy is a very successful man. I was a mess. I was a drunkard. And a prophet came to the church and he pointed the finger at me and he says, because you are who you are, because of what you're doing, I'm going to take everything away from you. You're going to lose everything. And I laughed at the guy. I said, what a cuckoo. You know, I never do that again. Actually, I would encourage you when you see a prophet, either repent or run for your life. Those are vicious people. 
they will they will say what God is telling them to say and they will do it publicly as well if you are not willing to repent so every time I'm meeting with the real prophet I always say God I forgive me for all the sins I know and the sins I don't know and the sins I remember just just please God here I am you don't need to hammer me in front of the people okay I you can do it privately yeah prophets are vicious so he says, I'm going to take everything away from you. Within three months, even though I laugh at the guy, I said, who can stop a man like me? I was bankrupt. I've lost everything. I've lost my company. I was about to go to jail, actually, for, uh, because I was not able to pay the taxes and the government portion of the money that they always deduct uh, when you have employees. And I asked them for six months. I said to them, I'll work day and night. I'll pay everything off. And six months later, I end up with absolutely zero. I had to borrow money for food. I had to borrow a car. I've lost everything. But you know what I got? I got my wife back. We made peace. The only person that understood and knew the truth, what was really going on in my life, was my, my wife. In 1999, just a few weeks after that, I decided I'll never drink again. I put the bottle on the table and for three days I was looking at it. And here's what I was contemplating. I said, I cannot understand how a man like me, a man that was supposed to conquer the world and, and become the success, you know, uh, the American dream, if you will, Donald Trump. And... I don't understand how a man like me end up a slave, a slave to a bottle. On the second day, my wife came to me and she said, really worried, should I call a doctor? And I said, no, I'm just, I'm just dealing with this whole craziness. I do not understand what happened to me, how this whole thing went out of hand. I became a slave. You see, Jesus never wanted us to be slaves. The moment you're born, you were born to be free. And there's no man, no man has the right to enslave you. What they're doing to us today, they're enslaving us. That's why they want you to wear a muzzle like a dog. That's why they don't want you to meet together. That's why they're shutting down the churches. Out of all the things, they're shutting down churches. Why? Because the church sets the captives free. They open abortions, they open uh, marijuana stores in Canada, they open liquor stores, Walmarts, Ikeas, Costco's, everywhere you can go by hundreds of people. In Ikea, when the churches were commanded to be shut down, it had a big write-up, only 480 people allowed. Can you imagine those liars, those devils? Because they have an agenda. The devil doesn't want people to be free. But I was a slave. So I made up my mind, I want to be free, and the freedom only comes from one source, from God. Only Jesus Christ can give you freedom. So I made my peace with my wife, and I stopped drinking. I said, I'll never touch alcohol again. I started to work with the homeless people, with drunkards, with drug addicts. And then another prophet came and said that I'm going to give you a perfect gift, and we knew that my wife was pregnant that God is talking about the baby that is in her womb. And in March of 20, uh, 2000, March 28, she was giving birth to a baby. We didn't know if this is a boy or a girl. We didn't know anything about what's coming. But during the birth pains... Suddenly, I'm sitting on a chair waiting for the whole thing to unfold. That was my first 
baby coming. And you know, by the way, I'm telling you uh, truthfully, I went through the birth pains without a problem. Uh, you know, delivering the first baby was not that hard for me as it was for my wife. So I'm sitting over there and she's in pain. I'm okay. I, I prayed and I'm okay. And suddenly something hits me in the head. And I just yelled, stop. And she looked at me like I lost my mind. How can you stop delivering a baby? But you see, I'm a stubborn Polish man. Stop. This baby is not coming out. You cannot have this baby until we give a name to that baby. Because we looked for months for the name. But nothing was, you know, do you believe that sometimes God is giving a specific name to a specific child? And nothing, I mean, beautiful name, this, and we agree that's a beautiful name, but not for that child. We knew that there is a special name, and I'm sitting there, she's giving birth already. The birth pains are intensifying, very close. I'm telling her to stop, because it hits me, this baby cannot come out. And I know it was God. So I gave her a piece of paper and a pen, and I said, you're going to write down the names that are coming to your mind? And she says, are you crazy? <laughs> but again, I'm very stubborn, and she had to do it. The whole thing, I stopped the whole thing. That's it. There is no baby coming out until you put those names on the paper. I will do the same thing, and I started to write the names that I believe that God was giving me on my heart. And the only name that was repeating itself was a name of a boy, Nathaniel. If you know your Hebrew, Nathaniel means gift from God. So here is the situation. Prophet comes to us and says, I'm going to give you a perfect gift. God names the child a gift from God, Nathaniel, and he is born the same day I was born. However, he was born dead. He was not moving. He was purple. He was like your t-shirt over there. Like, I mean, I'll never forget the, the, the little tiny baby coming out of my wife's womb. Dead, not moving, not breathing, purple. He was deprived of oxygen for a very long time. He turned, the color of his skin turned totally purple. I saw the panic, people running around, the nurses, the doctors. But I'll never forget the eyes of my wife. You see, when you're delivering a baby... You know subconsciously you're waiting for the cry of the baby. And I look at her eyes and she could not see the boy. But I saw panic and pain. I'll never forget those eyes, those big eyes that knew something is terribly wrong. My son was born with a hole in a, in a hernia and through that hole... The bowels and the stomach went up and messed up his whole upper chest, pushing the heart on the opposite side and destroying the lung. That was the first miracle when they brought him back to life and declared that he's not going to survive because of the intensity of the damages. It took them five hours to take him to the intensive care in Children's Hospital in the city of Calgary. My wife was left in the hospital and around 12 o'clock, night three doctors came to me and they said you have to consider unplugging him he's not going to make it he's not going to live even if by a miracle he survives he's going to be a vegetable for the rest of his life and we said no i went through my little rebellion with god you know when things happen to you you always ask why me right 
Why is this happening to me? Why me? Why me? Well, I went through that. But I was a little bit more vocal. I yelled, I screamed, I cursed. I did everything in my power to let him know that he is a tyrant, that he is evil, and he's doing all of these terrible things to me. You, I said to him, you took my business. I don't care. I was a money-making you know, machine. I will make more. But you're touching my son, the one that you promised, the promised one. And I could not reconcile the promises, him being born the same day, naming him Nathaniel and the prophet saying he's going to give us a perfect gift and him dying right now. I just could not put that together. And I went into full-blown rebellion. And then I calmed down. My wife, however, she called everyone she knew. The pastors, the pastors called other pastors and the people started to come to the hospital, laying hands on the boy, praying for him, declaring. She would read the Bible to him. She would put 24 hours, seven days a week worship. She would touch him and she would declare that he will live. You see the power of a mother. I'm telling you, use it. Use it. Fight for your neighborhoods. Fight for America. Fight. Because there's something that I cannot understand even. The power of a broken heart. The power of a mother that fights for someone. She did that. Me, I stood in this intensive care unit. This sterile sterile place in a hospital. And I look at my little boy, the tiny boy. Everything was being done for him. He was on that machinery. And breathing was being done for him. He did not have even one vein that they could put a needle in they run out of veins can you imagine just close your eyes and imagine a little tiny newborn baby that doesn't have a place that they can stick something inside of him they came to me and they said we have run out of all the veins we don't know if something goes wrong we don't have another place to put something in and then something happened to me what was going on during that time I would go to work, I had to work, we could not even afford a parking, I had to borrow money from my father to pay for the parking in the hospital. That's how bad it was. When God took everything away from me, he took everything away from me. We, could, we had to borrow money for food, for parking, and my father lent me a car. So I went to work, I came back, I exchanged my wife, she went to wash and eat and have a couple hours of sleep. And I would stand in that room. And you know, I was afraid to touch my son. I would stand in the same place, in a corner of that room. And I would watch him and breathing this machinery, doing everything for him. And I was terrified to touch my own son. I knew that if I touch him, I fell in love and I will just, my heart will, will be broken. So I stood over there and I did nothing. My wife would come, exchange me, and she would continue to, to touch him and lay hands on him and pray and anoint him all the time. And then the next day would come, and then the next day, and the next day. And that's how I was going on for a number of days. When they opened my son, and I have a proof from the surgeon, when they opened him up in their own documents, they said that they have not found even a trace of a line. This boy could not breathe on his own. He didn't stand a chance. They saw him back together and there was nothing else they could do. And I'm standing there. I came back from work. My wife went and I stood in the same place and something happened to me. Something that I 
would never believe it's even possible. When people were telling me about visions, about dreams, I would say, you know, there's, you're, you're, you're a little bit different. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it happened to me. I was a businessman. You know, as business people, we had this saying, show me the money. I don't know if you have the same thing. Uh, you know, I'll, show me the money, then I will believe it. Okay, put the money on the table, then we talk business. So I was very pragmatic, you know, practical. I wanted to touch. I wanted to see it with my own, my own eyes. I remember during that time of me being a duck, a little bit in the world and a little bit in the kingdom of God, I always said, what did really Jesus do? I mean, many people, I studied history, many people were tortured, many people died on the cross, many people were burned alive. I mean, what is so special about Jesus? That was my argument. While well, he showed me what was special about him. I had a vision. I'm standing there in the children's hospital in the city of Calgary, and I saw Jesus Christ in Gethsemane. I saw him being terrified, sweating with the blood. He was so afraid. And I saw a mob of a thousand people, more than a thousand people came. I saw people with clubs. I saw people in robes. I saw people that I could not recognize who they were. They were carrying all kinds of things. I saw Roman soldiers in a big number, hundreds of them. Then they came and they asked, where is Jesus? When he opened his mouth and he says, I am, all of those people were struck by enormous power i've never seen something more powerful and immediately they were on the ground and when they wanted to stand up they went to their knees try it go lay down on the floor and try to stand up in front you have to go to your knee and i saw that it was such an incredible thing because in the bible of course at that time i i didn't put the things together but it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the lord you see, those people, they came to arrest him. They came to torture him. They came to murder him. But they had to bow before the giver of life. The beating started right away. They took him to the court, so-called court, during the night hour. I saw people punching him with fists. I saw people slapping him, like the woman, no offense, slapping him like this. I saw men coming to him mocking and spitting in his face. And they would slap him with the back of their hands. That was the greatest insult you can do as a man to another man. You're not worthy for me to punch you like this. You're not even worthy for me to slap you like a woman. I'm going to slap you because you're like a dog. The insults he took, the pain, the spits. I saw a guy, a young man, about 30 years old, a rabbi, running towards Jesus, filled with such a hate. I've never seen a bigger hate than that. He grabbed his beard and he ripped out of his face with his skin and the blood splashed all over me. I ran away from the hospital. I literally started to run. I was running away until the vision stopped and the next day came. I came back, the same scenario, I stood in the same place and the vision started again. I saw the conversations. I can tell you what they were talking about. It was incredible, but the beating and the torture and the blood was unbearable. And through all of this ordeal, I did not feel any pain. I felt the pain of the father watching his son being tortured. I cannot even imagine. You see, I'm a pastor, but you come to touch my son, you're dead meat. You're dead. I'll kill you with a chair if I have to. 
I kill you with the Bible if I have to. You see, I'm not capable of that kind of a love. If it was you or my son, you're dead. You don't stand the chance. Because you see, my love for my children is bigger than anything you can imagine. The only love that is bigger than that is the God towards God. But he, he had the power to stop it. The father could stop and I say, make humans number two. And model number two better. But he went through the whole thing. The pain of the father watching his son being tortured by dust was unbearable. They beat him. They tortured him. They whipped him beyond imagination. I don't know if you watched the Mel Gibson's movie. That was nothing. That was nothing that what I saw they did to Jesus Christ. When they nailed him on that tree, you could not tell if he was a woman or a man. It was just piece of meat, blood everywhere. The most horrible thing, I will never be able to take that image away from my mind. And he was crucified naked, completely naked. He was not covered. He bare our shame. And the father... Unbearable. Unbearable pain watching your son being tortured by wild dogs. The darkness that came after, I cannot explain. I cannot explain the darkness that happened after that. But you could not see a thing. And after I saw earthquake, and it was not a local earthquake, it was an earthquake that was global. The whole earth split in half. I cannot explain it to you. And then I saw a, a close-up of a beard, bird, and that bird was crying, and a tear was coming from that bird's eye. And then I saw a speck of grass. I cannot explain, but the grass was crying. The creation was crying because the creator was willing to give his life for the creation. It was unbelievable. When everything was over, he spoke to me. And that was the first time that I've heard a voice of God. He says, what would you do to save your son? And I was me. I'm always me. I said, tell me to kill and I will kill. I will not hesitate. I'll wipe out half of this hospital if it needs to be. So only my son can live. But he, he didn't stop. He didn't change the tone of his voice. He just continued, he says, but you cannot save your son, but I could save my son, and I didn't do it. You know why? For you. And for the rest of the people. Who can understand such a love? I would never give up my son for you. But he did it for you and for me. I saw two hands... In one hand, you see, we're talking about two fathers. A father God and an earthly father. And one father that was willing to give up his son so I, an evil man, an enemy of God, would not have to suffer. But I was willing to take your children. I was willing to kill your mother, your father. I would not hesitate to cause you pain so I don't have to live in pain. I saw a heart that is so crystal clear. I still see the image of that heart. It's a moving, living heart. 
It was like a crystal. It was like gold. I cannot even explain it. It was, it was alive. And that was the purest thing I've ever seen. A holy heart of God. And then I saw my own heart. Like a tar. Ugly. Dirty. Evil. And I think that's where my heart got broken. I realized how evil of a man I am. I was willing to kill, to cause other mothers pain, other fathers pain, so I don't have to suffer. But my God was willing to suffer, so I don't have to suffer. That day we went to the church. The pastor was organizing a vigil for us, for the baby. And that was the first time that I actually prayed after this whole thing, after my son was born, my wife of course, she was praying, she was dealing with God, she was doing everything she can. But that was the first time for me, I lifted my hands up and I said, God, I'm giving you my son, Nathaniel, like Abraham Isaac on the altar. Do with him as you please. But if you are to save him, I'll be the most grateful man on earth. But if you are to take him, I beg you, do it now. If he is to die, let it happen now so I don't have to suffer anymore. So I don't have to see my wife suffer. And I started to cry like never before. And I started to sob and every tear was representing evil that I have done. It was like a cleansing. Every tear was me smuggling stuff. You know, I used to be a smuggler. I used to, I used to smuggle alcohol from behind the Iron Curtain. I used to smuggle gold from Russia. I've dealt with mafia so many times. and I've done things. And everything that I've done was coming with those tears. Bribing police. I bribed lots of police officers. Politicians, chief of police. And everything was coming down. And I ran out of tears. I didn't have more tears to give. And with my hands up, I repeated. I said, God, if he's to die, let it be now. I'm giving you my son, like Abraham, Isaac on the altar. Do with him as you please. But I'm giving you my word. And you see, that was very important for me, giving a word. Because behind the Iron Curtain, the contracts meant nothing. It was a, a man's handshake. That was the contract. That was the deal. A word of a man. We've lost that in our civilization. We got so many lawyers that is ridiculous. But for me, giving a word was very important. It was a done deal. If I said I'll do something, I'll do something. Even if it costs me. Even if I was losing money, I did the project to the end. Even if I lost lots of money. But I said I would do it and I did it. So I gave him my word. I will serve you for the rest of my life. It doesn't matter what is his final decision. Either my son lives or dies. From now on, I'll serve him. And him only. Nothing happened. Went home. The next day I went to work. And then the same thing. I went to change my wife. And as I was walking in the hallway, the people started to call me names. That's the father of the star baby. Look, that's the father of the star baby. I had no idea what they're talking about. I went to the intensive care expecting my son to be gone because during that time I've seen many children coming and going, dying. So I thought it's over. I'm going to see an empty 
bed and my son will be gone and I'll be told that he died or something happened. And, but he was there, but there was something different. He did not have the thing inside his throat, the machinery that was breathing for him. I didn't know what happened. The same three doctors came and they, I could not even enter the room. They said, you got to come with us. We have to show you something. Something happened. They took me to the x-ray room. At that time, they were x-ray rooms. Now it's all on computers. And they said, look at the first picture. You see this? You see the damage? You see the heart on the opposite side? You see the bowels and the whole thing messed up and smashed? But look at the second one. You see the heart within a few hours, the heart moved to its natural place. And we cannot explain what happened. But what's more intriguing is that your son cannot breathe on his own, but he is breathing. He doesn't have a lung. When we open him up, we could not see even a trace. It was never there. And the next picture, look at the next one. You see this little thing? That's your son's lung. It's growing every hour. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They did about seven, eight x-rays and says there is no explanation. There's no medical explanation to what happened. It looks like you, God, has heard your prayers. We called your son a star baby. This is a baby that should not be alive but is living. Should not be breathing but is breathing. We called your son a star baby. And my son right now is 21 years old. Pastor met him. He is... He's starting to become a lawyer with a father like he has. I need an inside lawyer. <laughs> Remember when God says, I'm going to give you a perfect gift. But he also knew I need a lawyer. <laughs> he is perfect in his mind. He's perfect in his body. A fine young man, you've met him. Perfectly healthy. He climbs mountains with me. He swims like a fish. You see... God said something, right? He says, I'm going to give you a perfect gift. He didn't tell me that I'll have to wait a little bit for that perfect gift. But you see, God is not like, a, like you and me. He's not a liar. He's a faithful God. We have to just have faith and wait until the fulfillment of his promises will come. So I want to ask my wife to come. And she's going to share from her side of the story. I mean, she prayed... For a man like me. She prayed. You see, Thank everything you. I do, everything I do is because of her. And I say to my enemies, blame her for whatever is, is happening. She prayed me into the kingdom of God. She fought for me for seven years. Whatever I do now is because one woman was willing to fight to the death for her husband. So here is my wife. I'm so short, you can't see me to the... <laughs> so... It's our story, but each time I'm, I, I hear that, I'm crying. I'm, I'm never immune to that. I, I'm also not immune to your air condition. So we have minus 30, minus 40 in Canada, but I cannot stand air condition. I don't understand why. But seriously, uh, I, 
almost never preach. Uh, I'm a wife of a preacher. I, I don't chase pulpits. Uh, in a very early stage, I, that was my conscious decision. I knew it that for whatever we are called, it's going to be very, very important, very public, and one of us has to be normal. Uh, <laughs> one of us has to stay behind. And, and trust me, behind the scene is a lot of work. Thank you very much. So I understand that. I promised myself in, in Canada, usually I tell my husband, this time I'm going to say a few words. Uh, and because that's the only church we're going to visit, and I know this goes live, or whatever you record that, I want to use this pul pulpit to thank America to welcome my husband. Thank you very much. It's hard to explain. It's a journey. It's not that my husband throwed out police officer and oh wow, he became this public right now figure and on public stage. No, it was very, very long journey. Uh, like probably all of you have it, your own story. As my husband uh, said, it's, it's a walk with God for about, since we were 20 years old, we met when I was 19. So when he right now speaks about past, it's like, yeah, he, 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 he speaks about us. Maybe I should be sad or something. No, from now, it's a past. We are so healed. It's, it's almost, I'm, I'm listening that story about somebody else. It's that far. So it happened what it happened because it was a fight for our salvation. He wasn't saint. I wasn't saint. We were both in our 19s, 20s when we met. And of course, Satan was fighting for our salvation. But not only for our salvation, for fulfillment of our destiny. That's very important. Fulfillment of your destiny. So thank you very much. Uh, and let me tell you, in, in that process of, help me with math, 27, 8 years, since we were 20, God was building our character. And the most, most difficult time was not now, when just somebody wanted to put on fire our house. My kids could be, could be born. It was at midnight. Not that. That wasn't painful because we are trained for it. But that process in the past was extremely painful. The rejection, uh, false accusations. When God said to us, to him, you're going to lose everything. That means everything, your good name. And when he gave really his life to Jesus, he says, I'm going to build a good name. 
they're going to know me as this Christian contractor. And I'm going to be so righteous uh, because it was a lot of crooked contractors back then. It was Canada was in the middle of booming. He, 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 he was... He, he wanted to do, to do in such a way that he's going to, to, to open an office as a being a, a guy that puts in check other contractors. Let's put it this way. So he wanted to do right things. But the very people that were stealing from us, they would spin the story in such a way that would, would, would spread the lies. You stole it from us. So it's almost like you were, you, were, you were cheated, but the cheater said you cheated. People that leave the church, they cannot just leave. They have to leave the dust behind. So that was the most painful process, and, but it was needed. It was needed. We need to go through false accusations. We need to go through rejection. We need to go through to build that character. And right now, God is my witness. I don't feel attack when it comes from the outside. I feel like in this bubble, and I know it's blood of Jesus, but when attack comes from Christians, I can feel it very painfully. That's why, that's why probably you know that from experience, we have to be, and I speak this for myself as well, we have to be very careful because we can hurt others. We can hurt others and every, uh, everybody that from other pastors, other churches attack us, we can feel that. But the fact that politicians hate us, Satan hate us, do you feel it? Not really, not really. Uh, Going back to my son, uh, when my husband was in Gethsemane, cross, and all that, it never crossed my mind that my son can die. It didn't cross my mind. Absolutely, it didn't. I was in the Psalms, I was in a prayer, and he was running on the cross. So I was, I was having my own journey, but he could die. He could die. And, and this is when I want to stop for a little bit, because sometimes I meditate. I say, Lord, who, who we would become if our firstborn would die? And that could happen. You know, bad things happen to good people. We have this family in our church, very heartbroken, strong Christian farmers. Uh, and they name their uh, kids, not like we, Nathaniel, Gabriel, Maya, our kids. They name like Deliver Me, O God. That's the name. That's the name. And all the other names, they have five kids, are like that. And their son just passed away in, a, in a weird circumstances. He was at the 21 years old as well. He was at the wrong, two months ago, he was at the wrong time, wrong place. And the question screams, why such a faithful, faithful family? And when you, I watched a lot, a lot of uh, documentaries from 
from Auschwitz, from people that were in, a, in, a, in a camps. And the families that survived, they would never say uh, God, they, are, they don't want to say that God saved me. Because what about my daughter? What about my wife? They have almost this guilt and this, this healthy fear of saying that God protected me because they, they left behind loved ones. So this is, this is um, I'm really blessed. This is our story. But also I know that some of you lost, lost the loved ones. And I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers, but I know one thing that God is good. And also I know something else that yes, everything happens because he allows it. I agree. But also there is such a thing as premature death. Also it's such a thing like Satan can, is here to kill and destroy and steal. So my journey is this. We had to fight. Uh, he, my husband didn't say that. He was full month, four weeks. Everything happened in a four weeks in a hospital. So he could be in a hospital that when the doctor saw that, saw that actually he's going to leave, uh, they told us, you have to prepare yourself. He's going to be in a hospital for a lots of months. He's going to have this many operations. I don't even remember right now, at least five. This and that. So. Everything happened. He had one operation when he, they opened him, they put his bowels back and they saw it, the, the hernia. So the, they said, we are not touching the heart. We are not ready for that. So the heart moved by itself. So, and everything else moved by itself, the stomach and whatever we have it here. So I was blessed to experience this in, in such a way, but that doesn't mean that we are better or we, have, we, are more, we are more special. I think we are all equal. For some reasons that I don't understand, God's ways are higher. I don't understand. He chose for us this pathway. So thank you very much for having us here. I also wanted to mention that it's, it's, it's quite important. We grew up in very, very, very small Polish church. And, and this was beginning of our journey. When our pastor, uh, when our pastor blessed us with the blessing of Nehemiah, he closed the Polish church. It was almost like his his job was at that time we speak very little bit, uh, very little english it's in in canada that almost like his job was to raise us so under his wings in those few years we finish almost like university of 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 christianity so he was he was very no knowledgeable man uh, some people didn't like it because it was so much knowledge in one sermon that other pastors would do in one month. But we were just eating because we were so hungry. So the same here, 
I just want to say, do not despise small beginnings. So, because some, somebody told me here, oh, you know, we are not really involved in this or that. We are in this small bubble. Doesn't matter. You are raising up soldiers in this church. And women of God, at Street Church in Calgary, for 15 years, I have the same volunteers. Women that were 16 year, 60 years old, right now they are in their 80s. That tells you something. That tells you something. So all those years, of course we have new volunteers uh, as well, but we built something. We built something. And we had 20 years to have theological disputes with other pastors. But now I, I, I just want to plead with you, it's not a time for this with other ch churches. Right now it's a time, do you, do you believe in a cross, blood, salvation, just, just, just salvation, and that's it. Because what we experience right now in Canada is very surprising for me. Because from the churches that I thought, oh, they're going to stand up, they're completely, they're com they, they, it's their treachery. But from the pastors that we thought, uh, not big deal, they are standing like a lion. And not necessarily we would agree on everything. There is this pastor, Thyssen, he's Mennonite. I never met in my life Mennonites. But he was already arrested, he stands, he, 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 he preached already in our church, my husband preached in, in, in his church, and people are texting us and say, how dare you? Yes, we dare. Because when they come for you, when they will come for you, they will not ask. They will not ask if you're a Mennonite Catholic or full gospel, they will just chop your head. So now it's not a time. Now it's time to build community called Christianity. Amen. Called Christianity. Of course we have to put people in check when they fly too, too much. But, but this is my message to you. Thank you very much. And we need you right now in Canada. We really do. When he was arrested... They had to shut down the line because we don't know the number, but apparently nonstop the phone calls were into jail of people complaining, this is working. And they said, we have to set up the, the, the automatic answering machine. So pressure is working. We have to believe it. Even, even when we don't see it, the pressure is working. The fact that you will call your local whatever you have here, uh, senator, mayor, governor, uh, police force, it's working. The fact that we don't see it doesn't matter. The pressure is always working, always. So we in Canada, we are really waiting for something like this. Americans calling and say, what is wrong with you? Send the letters, call, because you have Republic of Cana Can Canadian Republic of China just next door. You don't know it yet. So thank you very much.
Thank you so much for joining us. We know that when there are this many people in person or watching online, that there is a chance that some have not started a relationship with Christ. If that's you and you would like a relationship with Jesus that washes away the stain of sin, you will need to start by repenting of your sin, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and asking him to be the Lord over your life. That means giving up control. If you have never prayed this or you have fallen away and want to return to the kingdom of life, repeat this prayer after me and mean it. Lord Jesus, I ask you right now to come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins and I now turn from them and I give you my life from this day on in Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you said that prayer, you are saved. Thank you for listening to Foundation Church's weekly message. We hope that you have been encouraged and empowered. If you would like to partner with us, please visit foundationchurchfl.com and click on Give.